Welcome to the Newport Church Sermon of the Week podcast. Newport Church is a non-denominational, spirit-filled church, part of the Dove International Apostolic Network of Churches and Ministries. We are located between Mannheim and Lidditz in northern Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. We look forward to seeing you. And now, here is today's message. It's good to be here this morning. Uh, good to be preaching again in Newport Church. I think it's been a couple Sundays since I've, I've been preaching here. I've been here, but not uh, preaching. So it's good to be preaching here. Uh, hallelujah. We are the last Sunday in February, and we are continuing on um, with the Hebrew 6 uh, foundational doctrines of faith. We, we went through that, and this morning I want to talk about resurrection life. Tell your neighbor, say Resurrection resurrection life. That's right. So Father, we thank you for your resurrection life in this place. I thank you, God, for your grace. I thank you, Lord, for your anointing. Holy Spirit, we thank you for all that you want to minister to us today. And Father, I ask that you would use my lips in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So I get to preach about resurrection life this morning, and it's not Easter. Go figure. Go figure that, right? It's not Easter this morning, Um, but how many of you know, uh, so kind of one of the sub-themes that I want to talk about is the testing of death. That sounds very ominous. The testing of death uh, that we go through uh, in our life. How many of you know that you cannot have a resurrection without death? Right? You can't have a resurrection without death. And even this is true like spiritually, right? When, when, we, uh, it, when we come to the Lord, we lay down in, in one sense putting to death our, our, our sinful nature, which is already dead. It's already separated from God. We lay our lives down. We lay our self-will down, and we take on the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's where resurrection comes from spiritually. So this is even true spiritually. I want to I draw from the great uh, wisdom of the comic Peanuts this morning. All right, so how many of you know Charlie Brown and Snoopy? Yeah. Uh, so there's this, this, co- this comic where Charlie Brown and Snoopy are sitting at the edge of a dock, and they're looking off into the sunset, the, the distance, and Charlie Brown says this. He says, we only live once, Snoopy. We only live once. And Snoopy says, wrong. We only die once. Every other day we're alive. Right? Hallelujah. Every other day we're alive. There's another time they're sitting on the dock as well. And Charlie Brown, I think Charlie Brown, I don't know, was struggling with some deep introspective thoughts or something. He he says this. He says, someday we will all die, Snoopy. And Snoopy says, true, but on all the other days, we will not. Right? I think that's a good perspective to have when we go into this. You know, we, we all encounter different types of death in our life. And really, you know, when we're talking about, uh, I mean, physical death is death. But then we also, sometimes there's the death of dreams, the death of hopes, the death of relationships, you know, when we're, and that's more like in the, in the area or the realm of loss. And we all encounter loss in our life, whether it's just the loss of expectations or uh, maybe the loss of something very significant in our life. And this is where, you know, uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15, 
It says this about Jesus, that Jesus, by embracing death, Jesus sets free those who live their entire lives in bondage to the tormenting dread of death. So because Jesus embraced death and conquered death, you and I can be free from the bondage of fear of death. It doesn't mean that we don't die, but we are free from the bondage of the fear of death. Yeah? And so this is what I want to look at today when we talk about resurrection life, even though it's not a Easter morning that's coming up, and I'm sure we'll talk about it there. But I I think, you know, um, the very fact that Jesus rose from the dead... He rose out of that grave is a supernatural element to the Christian life. And you've probably heard me say it here before that supernatural Christianity is normal Christianity. The supernatural life, Christian life, is the normal Christian life. Dustin, can you come here? So last year when, you know, we kind of formed that slogan, we put it on our volunteer t-shirts and Dustin's going to come here quickly and model it for us. (laughs) All right, he's got it on. I found, I was like, who has a volunteer t-shirt? It was Jamie or Dustin. Jamie's on sound, so Dustin's going to come here. All right, so Dustin, just come stand right here and with your back to everybody. And so this is the point, that Christianity has an open and empty tomb. Amen? And that is the foundation of our Christian life. That's the, that there is supernatural activity that God has moved in a powerful way and continues to move in a powerful way. Thank you, man. Can we give him a hand? Right. That the resurrection is the central focal point that says, hey, things are going to be different. And so when we look at the fifth of these six foundations that are found in Hebrews chapter 6, the, the fifth foundation is that of the resurrection life, the resurrection from the dead. And so I, I, this morning, I pray that as we go through this and as we look at what Scripture says and what the Bible talks about, what God talks about in terms of death and resurrection, that faith begins to be stirred in our hearts. That faith begins to be stirred in this room, in our lives. We might be facing difficult situations. We might be facing uh, the fear of difficult things changing in our life or, or something like that. But I pray that this morning, each one of us would would have our hands fully in the grip of God where we, ca- we uh, can feel him carrying us no matter what we're facing. Amen? All right, so let's look at this. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 and 3. As many things that are foundational scriptures in Christian life, they start in Genesis, <laughs> and it starts with a man named Abraham. So we're going to look at this because um, this is very key for what, we're, what we look at here when we talk about resurrection life, and you'll find out here why in a second. So Genesis chapter 22, we're going to look at verses 1 and 3 initially. So let's start reading in verse 1. It says, now it came to pass. <laughs> I, that's, that, sorry. As I said that, I remember my daughter saying, sometimes it passes like a kidney stone, but it passes. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it's, it's true, though, isn't it? 
<laughs> it came to pass. One of my favorite scriptures in, in scripture. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite phrases in scripture is that it came to pass. Tell your neighbor, say, if, if, it's, if, if you're going through a hard time, it came to pass. All right. It might pass like something, but anyway. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Back. <laughs> Welcome to the brain of Merle Shank this morning. Uh, now, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. How many of you know that when God wants to do something in our lives, when God wants to do something significant, many times it starts with a test. Many times it starts with a test. And, and to be honest, we don't know. Like the Bible doesn't say that Abraham knew he was being tested. He just hears God's voice. And he hears it so vividly and so clearly. And sometimes, I, I don't know, I've heard other people talk about it. I've encountered it uh, this way. And I, I'm not saying that it's true every time. But sometimes when we hear God so specifically, it's because we're going to need that specific, uh, what is that word? Specificity? Is that right? Yeah. Specificity, that's it. Thank you. We're, we're, in other words, we're going to need to hear we're going to need to know so clearly um, because of what we're going to walk through, that he speaks to us very clearly. And so there's times when we, we encounter testing, and Abraham didn't know, I mean, or the Bible doesn't say that Abraham knew that he was being tested. And so um, when God wants to do something, when he wants to shift something, when he wants to develop something, when he wants to create something new in the earth, when he is busy with something, many times it also involves a test. It involves a place where we have to lay down something in our own lives and in order to pick up and walk with him. So we see that Joseph, now uh, Psalms 105 verse 19 we know that Joseph was sold into slavery, right? He was in, uh, in Egypt, and he was in the, eventually wound up in prison. And it says this in Psalms 105, verse 19, Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. So there's things that God has spoken over you over me. There's things that God has spoken and declared over us. There's been a word of the Lord that he has in his heart, right? When he, when he thought of who we are from eternity past, and he, he looks at us and he says, oh, this is my will for them. There's things that God has spoken. And what happens is sometimes we go through testing, not so that we are disapproved. Like in our world today, we, th we see testing as like, oh, God is looking to discredit me or prove that I'm not good enough. Like that's the en actually the enemy's voice, right? Sometimes we struggle with, especially when we come out of more of a religious background where like I am not enough, I'm not good enough. And every time I fail, it's like just another stamp that says not enough. That's not God's testing. That's not what God uses testing for. In fact, God uses testing to approve of us. He uses testing to show us, to show, to sure us, to prove us, to approve of us. That's what testing is there for. It's like, you know, uh, 
So it's not pass or fail as much as, you know, like in the Olympics, right, when somebody's doing figure skating or something and all the judges, like, they are being judged, right? They hold up like 9.2, you know, 10.0, whatever. Like, and that's, that's kind of like the testing is not like, oh, you're not good enough. It is, hey, this is how well you're doing. And that is God's heart behind testing. As we go from glory to glory, as we journey with the Lord, this is why Abraham is, Abraham is chosen as the, the father of our faith before there ever was an old covenant, before there ever was a new covenant. Abraham is encountering God in a very new covenant way and responds to God in faith, right? And, in his, and starts to journey with the Lord. And in Abraham's journey, is our journey. And we can, we can like delve into that way too deep than we have on, for a rabbit trail this morning. <laughs> but the point is this, that we go through tests in our life and God uses those tests to approve us, to take us from one level of glory to another level of glory to another level of glory on our journey with him. Because as we look to him, the Bible says that we are changed into the image of his son. So we start to look like Jesus. Amen? All right. James chapter 1 verse 3 says this about testing. It says, knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience. Like there's a, there's a plan for God's testing in our life. And so it's not to disapprove us, it is to prove us. All right, so back to Genesis chapter 22, verse 2. That was a good verse. <laughs> verse 1 was a good verse. All right, so verse 2. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Wow. So Abram rose early, verse 3, in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God told him. You know, uh, we're going through the Freedom Series in a lot of different life groups, not all of them, but uh, a lot of different life groups have either started up for this Freedom Series just to kind of get us all going through it. And one of, the, one of the statements in the Freedom Series that I underlined as we were going through it in our life group was just that, like, man, sometimes, you know, it was talking about different idols that we can have in our life, things that mean more to us than God. And specifically, uh, it talks about this, about Abraham. The question was, would Isaac be Abraham's first love or would Abraham trust God above all else? There's things that God gives to us that he doesn't want us to turn into idols in our lives. And so we see this where God comes to Abraham and says, this is what I want you to do with Isaac. This is what I want you to do with your Isaac. The gift that I have given you, the one uh, in whom all the promises hinge <laughs> in your life, the one that proves my goodness to you, I want you to come and I want you to go to a mountain that I'm going to show you. I want you to lay it on the altar. I want you to give it back to me. Verse 4 of Genesis chapter 22. 
verses 4 and 5. And it says, And then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and, what's that word? Worship. By the way, this is the first time that the word worship is used in Scripture. It's the first time where worship is used in Scripture. True worship always includes a sacrifice of something. Whether it is a sacrifice of praise that the Bible talks about, where it says, God, you know, like, I don't feel like praising God, you know, or I'm, I'm intimidated by who's around me, like, I, I don't, you know, maybe the, the beat's off or the song's off key or, you know, like we can all look for reasons like not to engage in praising God, right? But there's a time where we just need to make a choice to say, God, you're worthy of praise. And because you're worthy of praise, it, it wasn't that way this morning, by the way. Worship team, you can just <sighs> breathe a little bit, you know, like, but God, because you're worthy of praise, I make the choice because I choose to praise you. I will give you the sacrifice of praise. I will lay down my own mind, my own will, my own desires, and I choose to exalt you, right? Okay, that's, that's part of worship. But worship uh, uh, includes sacrifice. It always includes uh, the cause of laying down our lives, our will, our pride, what is important to us. That is true worship. Amen? All right, so the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we, if you have your, a pen and you're, you, know, you have a, a Bible, just circle we, and we will come back to you. We will come back to you. Notice Abraham's faith here. He knows that God says, you are going to go and sacrifice your son on the altar. You're going to put him on an altar that is on fire, or put him on the altar and then set it on fire, Okay? And, but Abraham's response shows his faith here. He tells the two, the two servants that were walking with him, listen, we're going to go and worship, and then we are going to come back. In other words, Abraham's faith is that he knows that he's going to sacrifice his son, but he is saying, we're both going to survive this somehow. We're both going to survive this. Tell your neighbors, say, I don't know what you're going through, but you're going to survive it. Come on. Verse, uh, chapter 22, verse 5, Abraham freely offered his beloved son to God and called it worship. True worship always involves that sacrifice. So Abraham, we see here, is the first person to believe in the resurrection from the dead. See, we believe in the resurrection of the dead because we have testimonies the whole way from the Old Testament because Elijah raised a lady's son, a widow's son, from the dead. Elisha raised the Shunammite's son from the dead. There was a young man that was dead that was thrown onto Elisha's bones, and he came to life. Then we fast forward, and Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, raises a widow's son from the dead, raises, Jairus, I think it was Jairus' daughter or, or the, the uh, uh, government official's daughter from the dead. Then Jesus himself is raised from the dead. Right? I, I mean, we have a pretty good track record in order for us to put our faith in. Abraham didn't have that. 
Abraham never saw or heard of anyone that was raised from the dead. And yet he had faith because God said. That's the foundation of our faith. That's the foundation of our journey with the Lord. Is Abraham, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 to 19, says this. It says, by faith... Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, verse 18, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God, verse 19, was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Abraham had faith that God, you have to understand, Abraham came from a culture, like Abraham's father, Terah, came from a culture where they sacrificed children to idols. Like, that's a, like a, rev- a rev- reversion, right, in his mind. Like, God, really? Like, I thought we weren't doing this anymore. I don't know. I mean, just, I mean, that's what I would be thinking if I was Abraham. Like, I, I, I thought this wasn't what you wanted. You called me out of that culture. You called me out of that place. You called me out of those things. And, and now, God, you want me to do that very thing with my son? The one who you've given as a promise, the one who you've given as a supernatural miracle into, my, into mine and Sarai's life? I'm just speaking as Abraham, right? I mean, put yourself in that place. Like, like God, Sarah bore him at the age of 90 and 91. That's not possible. Even in those days. <laughs> right? Abraham was 99 years old. Okay? And we see this, that the resurrection of the dead is a Christian belief. Not reincarnation. Not you're going to come back as a cockroach or a cow or some other living being. Right? It is a Christian belief. Not that there's nothingness after death, that like you live now and you die and then there's nothing. Okay? There is life after death. That is a Christian foundation of our faith. The Bible tells us that Jesus died on the cross, but that on three days later, he rose again. Amen? Amen? So after, and and then it says that uh, over 500 people witnessed Jesus in his resurrected body at the same time. Like, we probably have around 200 people sitting here. So double that and add 100. And that's how many people saw him at the same time. It wasn't that like, oh, he went there and showed himself there. I mean, that happened. The disciples saw him. And then the, 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 the disciples on the road to Emmaus saw him. And then Mary, you know, saw him. And, and, and that was all true. That's all on top of the 500. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6. It says, Then after he had seen, after he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. I mean, they were able to be like, wait, wait a second, did my eyes deceive me? Did you see that too? Like, did you? That was Jesus. Yeah, that was, yeah, yeah. 
The guy who was on the cross, the guy who we put in the tomb. Yeah, that was him. Right? There was many other sightings as well of Jesus. And, and the crazy thing is this. When Jesus was resurrected, it wasn't only Jesus who was resurrected. You know that? Matthew chapter 27, verse 52 and 53 says, And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Like, we just had grandma's burial like two weeks ago, you know, and then grandma comes knocking on the door. I mean, really, that's how it was. It wasn't like their ghosts. It wasn't their spirits. No, no, it was their physical bodies that were resurrected because the power of God, when Jesus was raised to life from the dead, it sent shock waves through hell. It sent shock waves through that cemetery. And let me tell you, the anointing of God is, it's transferable. There's this, it's like this energy that goes, it's not an energy, but the anointing of God can rub off. Amen? Amen? It can, it's, it, something was happening. When Jesus was brought back to life, listen, and, and that's the testimony of the resurrection, that it's not just one, one entity, the Son of God that was brought back to life, but in his resurrection power, there was a whole bunch of other people that were affected by it. That's the promise of God for us. That's his promise is, listen, there, there may be death, in our life, but there is also a promised resurrection. There's also a promised resurrection for you and for me. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but that, that just kind of fires me up here. All right, because this is the truth is that God is a God of resurrection. It's not that we have, uh, it's not that we only ever encounter good things in our life because we give our life to Jesus. No. We, we still encounter many times the same things or even sometimes harder things than the rest of the world in our life. But Jesus says this, be of good courage because I have overcome the worst things that can happen in our life. Jesus has overcome. There is life after the worst things that can happen to us in our life. That's the reality. That's the reality of our life. That's the reality of our faith. Now listen, none of us is like signing up, saying, yeah, give me the hardest thing. I, I don't, you know, like, like none of us is signing up for that. <laughs> well, maybe you are. I don't know. If you, I, I was, there, there's a song we sing about like, I forget. I want to be refined by fire. I'm like, ooh. Lord, I, I've been in that place a lot, and I'll go there if you want me to, but I'm not signing up. <laughs> Jen and I had a good conversation about that song. Anyway, <laughs> but God is a God of resurrection. 
He's the God of resurrection. We see that in 1 Kings 17, verse 9. I'll just give you the scriptures. Uh, by the way, these scriptures are in the notes in the app. Uh, the, the church app has all these scriptures in if you want to follow along and do your own study on it. Um, but we see Elijah, who was the first person to ever see somebody raised from the dead in, in the Bible that we know of, because we know that Abraham went and offered Isaac, right? And then God stops him just as he's about ready. I, I, we, we can't ignore Isaac's role in this. <laughs> uh, historians will tell us that Isaac was probably between the age of 20 and 33. He wasn't like an infant. Like, the choice of, okay, Dad, I'm going to trust you. <laughs> That's crazy. I don't know. That's, I mean, to me, I'm like, wow. In other words, Abraham, being 99 years old, or probably maybe 130 years old, right? he was 99 when he was born, you know, if it was been 20 and 30 years old, right? Like, Abraham couldn't have, like, caught him. <laughs> if Isaac was like, I'm out of here, he would have been out of there, <laughs> right? So we can't ignore and see also the heart of Jesus in Isaac to say, okay, I surrender my life. Father, not my will, but your will be done. And see, that's the covenant that Abraham made with God. That's the covenant that you and I are brought into is that Abraham said, God, because of my love for you, because of that you are first in my life, I lay down the very thing that you've given me, the very thing you've promised, the, thing, the vessel that holds the promise of your goodness to me and to Sarai. I lay it down, to Sarah at that point, sorry. I lay it down on the altar. And even if I kill it, I know that you can raise it from the dead. And so Abraham goes to slay his son. And what does the angel of the Lord says? Stop! Abraham, Abraham, I know that you now love me more than anything else. And they see a ram caught in a thicket, right? And there's, there's a lot more to that story where, you know, Isaac's like, uh, Dad, we don't have a lamb, you know? And, and, and Abraham says, God himself will provide a lamb, right? It's all the foreshadowing of the cross, and so God stops Abraham from killing his son. But because he was willing to offer it, that same part of the covenant means that God was willing to offer his son. But when his son was on the altar for our sins, when his son was on the cross, mankind didn't say, God, stop. That was the great exchange that happened. That's the covenant that we live in with God, with Abraham, through Abraham. All right, so we see Elijah sees the widow's son, the Shunammite, Elisha, the Shunammite's son in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 32. Sorry, Elijah was 1 Kings 17. Um, Elisha was 2 Kings, 2 Kings 4. And then the man that was thrown on Elisha's bones is 2 Kings 13. I mean, talk about not having faith. Like the guys were just trying to escape a mob right? And they just threw the, the dead body on Elisha's bones, right? Like sometimes in, in, the, in, in the 1980s and 90s, like faith movement 
which I love, by the way, but, you know, there are some excesses in, 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 you know, we see that people try and work out and like, oh, if you're not healed, then you don't have enough faith. That's not true. Listen, there's, there's, <sighs> we'll talk about that another time. But if you have questions about that, please come and let's talk about it. Let's dialogue about that. Right, because sometimes there's this thing where like people are like, I'm, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed, and they got snot running out of their nose, and their eyes are watering, and they have a cold, and it's like, I'm healed, I'm healed. no, you're not healed. You need healing. It's not, it's not, you're not uh, showing you don't have any faith because you just call what is. You're battling for your health, right? Okay. That doesn't mean that God's not can't heal, because He does. Moving along. All right. So, they, yeah, when, right, <laughs> the man who was thrown into Elisha's bones, the guys who threw him in there, they weren't having faith for him to be healed. They were just trying to bury him. The guy was dead who hit the bones and came back to life. Like, he wasn't having faith either. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but there was a promise that Elisha would have twice as much glory. As Elijah. And Elisha had only seen one person raised from the dead. And Elijah had only seen one person raised from the dead. This man was the second person. This man was the second person. Twice as much. See that? And then, I mean, you go on. Anyway. Okay. So, no other religion, no other religion leader in the world has ever come back to life. The tomb of Muhammad is in Medellin. Uh, in, sorry, in Medina, not Medellin. <laughs> That's where our missionaries are. Uh, <laughs> in Medina, Saudi Arabia, the, the, the um, Buddha was cremated and his ashes were divided between seven clans and one king. And they put his remains into stupas. There's only one stupa that remains today in Ramagram, Nepal. Okay. History tells us this. History tells us that Confucius was buried in Shandong, in the Shandong province of China. All major religious leaders. And guess what? Their remains are still there. But Jesus' tomb is empty. Come on. His tomb is empty. His tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All of Jesus' followers will be resurrected too. The Bible tells us this. You see, that's part of salvation. When we, when we study like the doctrine of salvation, there's three parts to it. There's justification, there's sanctification, and then there's glorification. It's spirit, soul, and body. It's justification that instant you give your life to the Lord, you make him the Lord of your life, you surrender your life, that death that we talked about, you give your life to Jesus and bring him into your life as Lord and Savior, instantly your spirit man is made alive by the power of the Holy Spirit and you are justified, meaning just as you have never sinned. You take on the righteousness of Christ, right? That's justification. But then you don't get sucked up to heaven, right? You, there's a life to live. For most of us, you know, otherwise in baptism, they just kind of keep you under. <laughs> That's not what we do, <laughs> right? That's not what we do. It's, 
Now you have sanctification, which is a process. The Bible says that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, that we, that we are changed into the likeness of the glory of the Lord, that we, uh, all uh, with unveiled faces, we look at his glory being changed from glory to glory, that we start to look like him, that we are predestined to be transformed into his image. That is the process of sanctification. That's us walking with the Lord day by day. That's why we believe in small groups. That's why we believe in relational Christianity because it's, it's, it's those places where we get discipled, where we become discipled. And that's why we believe in discipleship. That's why we say, you know, Christianity, we're not called to be an island to ourselves. We are in a journey of relationship and walking together. And this is my thing. I love like online. I mean, we're online. If you're online, Awesome, great to have you with us this morning. We hope to see you in person because there is an element to our lives that is added in in-person relationship that we don't get online. I'm not saying that online is bad, but what I'm saying is this, is online, it's kind of like going to the buffet and only eating from like the dessert table. Oh, I like that. I like that preacher. I like that revelation there. That's good, and that's all good. I mean, I like desserts just like the next person, right? But is it healthy? If we only choose what we want, we will be 40-year-old kindergartners in our maturity. Because real, real, real life... how many? Anyone who's married, say amen. <laughs> like, real life is worked out in the context of relationships with other people. And that's where we get to work that out, right? It's part of the sanctification process. Sorry, that was a big, long introduction to glorification. Glorification is the redemption of our body. It is our bodies in resurrection power. Amen? Just like Jesus had his glorified body. And guess what? Justification, sanctification, and glorification is all part of biblical salvation. So when, when, Bible, when the Bible talks about being saved, you have to look at the context to say, is it talking about justification? Is it talking about sanctification? Or is it talking about glorification? Because it's all termed salvation. Right? All right? Resurrection of the dead is glorification. So what this means is we do not need to fear death. There was a young man who came to his teacher and said, teacher, I fear death. I fear death. And, and, and the, the teacher said to him, um, this is kind of an, an adapted story, but the teacher said to him, do you, when you borrow money from somebody, do you fear giving it back to them? He's like, no. He says, well, we are just borrowing these bodies from God. We're borrowing our breath from God. We sang it this morning. It's your breath in our lungs. <laughs> and I pour out my praise. I pour out my praise. Our life, our breath is on loan from God. We think it's ours. We think like, oh, it's my body. No, actually, it, it's, it's been given to you. And with whatever challenges you face in life, right? Like, I mean, that's why the point of like comparing our, one body to another is pointless because everyone has a journey to walk with, you know, but, but we have a responsibility before God, 
with what we do while in the flesh. The Bible talks about this. So let's look at this, that God gives us our bodies. Acts chapter 17, verse 25 says, talking about God, says, nor is he worshiped with man's hands as though he is in need of anything since he gives life to all, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. If he gives it to us, it was his to begin with, all right? Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, and the Lord God formed man from the dust, of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Psalms 100, verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God, it is he who has made us, and not we ourselves, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. The reality is that our life will return to him. We're not taking anything with us except the choices we have made while we are in the body. Those choices will go with us. Specifically the choice of what did we do with Christ? What did we do with Jesus? That choice will go with us. For, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 talks about this. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and each one may that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Paul's writing to Christians here. Just a side note. So the only thing that we take with us after death is our own choices that we have made. That's what we stand with God. So, I mean, there's some arguments online about whether this is true or not. I think it's kind of a cool idea. I'm not sure if it's true, though, but some rabbis believe that um, the word Yahweh, uh, when it's spelled without in, in English without vowels, right? They're like, well, if, if you would try and pronounce it, what would it sound like? <sighs> Y-H-W-H. It's the sound of breath. It's the sound of breath. Whether or not that's, you know, articulated correctly out of the Hebrew or not, it is true that God gives us our breath. We have our entire lives before us to turn to him and to live as he desires us to live. Amen. Worship team, can you come? So God gives us life. He gives us, he causes us to be. He causes us to be alive. So we do not need to fear death. It is just the returning to God everything that was his to begin with. And guess what? There's a resurrection coming. Because our God's a God of resurrection. He's proven that over and over and over and over again. I, I have two friends, two preaching friends. You would know them if I said their names. Both have seen people raised from the dead. I know of other people who say they have. I don't, I don't but it's still happening today. It's still happening today. One of the guys is on that back wall. Seen two people raised from the dead. This God is a God of resurrection. That doesn't mean that he does it when we want him to. Hear me. 
It's not where like something happens and we're like, God, if you don't do this, I'm not going to believe in you anymore. That, that's, no, that's not. He does it as a sign of his kingdom. And a promise that, hey, what you have faith for will one day happen. It's the down payment. That's why the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit being the down payment of our salvation. It's, it's, the, it's the seal that says, hey, this is going to happen in fullness at some time. Amen? This is going to happen in fullness. And allows us, stirs us in his goodness. He gives us the opportunity to have faith. He doesn't leave us without a testimony. John chapter 5, verse 28 to 29, Jesus is talking. He says, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. Verse 29, and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 to 55, Paul is talking about our final victory. He says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery, that we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Verse 52, In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible. We shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this, cor- uh, when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, that is our future. That death is swallowed up in victory. And until that time happens, yeah, we have to put up with it. But it goes on, verse 55, O death, where is your sting? O hell or O Hades, where is your victory? That is what we look forward to. That is what we know and can be sure is coming because of God's testimony of him doing it in the past. And so we have the benefit, unlike Abraham, of believing in the resurrection when we have seen it happen already. We've seen a measure, a small measure of it happen already in the world. But our faith is that of Abraham. Jesus said, blessed are those who believe and have not seen. Our faith is Abraham's faith, who before he had seen any promise of resurrection, he believed God. So whether we see it in our, our physical life, you know, where you pray for somebody. I have never prayed for somebody and they came back to life yet. I prayed for people who were like on their deathbed and God said they're not going to die and they didn't die. But I've never actually prayed for somebody to come back to life and seen it happen. And that's okay. I don't have to. I don't have to in order to believe it. Amen? Maybe you have. That's awesome. But that doesn't change our faith because our faith is that of Abraham. That says God is able to do what he has promised to do. 
The test of death, where we started off this morning, the test of death comes to us all. Whether it's physical, whether it's the loss of a certain area in our lives. And the truth is this, is that we serve a God that is greater than death. We serve a God who has overcome death. We serve a God who is a God of resurrection. Can we stand together this morning? If you're here and you've never actually surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, the gospel is simply this, that God created in the beginning, he created all the world, all the systems of the world. He created the earth. He created mankind. And he reigned above it all. He was the king in our modern language. He was the king. He reigned above it all. He ruled over it all. And then Satan led a rebellion against God. And mankind was deceived by Satan and followed in Satan's rebellion to go our own way, do what we thought was best, rather than surrender and submit to what God said, how we should live our life. And because of that sin, sin just means to miss the mark, because of that mistake, because of that deception, our relationship with our Heavenly Father, the one who knows who we are, the one who knows why we exist, was broken. And God says throughout time, he sends different prophets, he sends his word to explain that, hey, I'm not going to leave it this way. I'm not going to leave you separate from me. I'm going to provide a way back to me. And Jesus came and died on the cross. God the flesh came and died on the cross to take upon himself the punishment that keeps us from him. He took it upon himself. All the sin of the world, my sin, the wrong things I've done, the wrong things you've done, he takes it upon himself in order to restore us back into heaven, into relationship with our heavenly father, the one who knows who we are, the one who knows why we exist, in order that, that the death in our spirit may be caused to come alive. Amen? But we have to make him king, just like he was in the beginning. We have to make him Lord of our life, just like he was in the beginning. And in doing so, you undo the choice that Adam and Eve made to leave God's direction. And God has provided that way. It's up to us whether or not we take it or not. <clears throat> that's our choice. That's the, that's the main choice that we will face after we die and we stand before the judgment seat of God. What did you do with Jesus? What did you do with the gospel message when you heard it? And that's why it's good news, is that we can be connected to the one who knows who we are, the one who knows why we exist, and, and he leads us in life, and the, the more we walk with him, it, this is what's said of Abraham, sometime I'm going to preach about it, but the more we walk with him, the more we find who God has actually made us to be. In other words, we come into the reality of who we actually are as we follow Jesus. Isn't that incredible? Like life starts to click and make sense as we walk with him on the journey. And we are changed into likeness of Jesus. And actually what we're changed into is the truer likeness of who we are really meant to be. Because we are all meant to reflect his image and carry his image. 
I'm not saying that you just go and become yourself a better version of yourself. No, no, no. We're, we're changed into who he has called us to be. Amen? So if you never actually have done that, where you've given your life to Jesus, where you've laid down your life and, call, and said, Jesus, I give you my life, and I'm inviting you to be my king, my Lord, my ruler, the one who directs my life. I give you my life. I lay it down, and I receive you. If you've never done that, I want to pray with you this morning. Just pray with me. If you, um, The Bible says that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And so if you're sitting there, maybe you're online, maybe you're in the room, and, and you've walked away from the Lord, you walked away from his design for your life, it's okay. First of all, stop feeling guilty. Just come back, right? Or maybe you've never submitted to that design in the first place. I want to invite you to do that. And the Holy Spirit, it's not my great words, however great or terrible they are, that convicts us. It's the Holy Spirit. And so you know in your heart where you are with God. And so in a place of no guilt, in a place of no shame, is the Lord drawing you to himself today? Is the Lord drawing you? Is the Holy Spirit knocking on your heart today? To say, come and surrender. If that's you, I just want to lead you in a prayer. There's nothing special in my prayer. What's special is your heart before your heavenly Father. And God hears your heart, but I invite you to say this with your mouth, with me, to come and give your life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead. We shall be saved. Amen? So I want to lead you in a prayer. Pray this after me. If you know this is you, say, Heavenly Father, I come to you. I give you my life. I ask that you would forgive me of all the wrong things that I have done. I ask that you would wash me clean. I ask that you would fill me with your life. I surrender my life to you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment for me. And that three days later, he rose again from the dead. I ask you to fill me with his life and lead me from this day onward in the power of your spirit in Jesus name amen if you've prayed that prayer with me uh, we want we have a gift for you a bible and also uh, just a little devotional book to help you start on your journey we want to give that to you so please come up after the service or, or see somebody at the connection table. We have uh, that gift for you. We want to uh, help you walk, get started in your relationship with the Lord that you just started today. Amen? Amen. All right? So you got to let somebody else know. 
You got to let somebody else know. Has anyone prayed that prayer for the first time here this morning? I can't really see with the lights, but anyone prayed that prayer? All right, we got one hand over there. Awesome. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Welcome to the family of God. Welcome to the family of Christ. Amen. Awesome. I didn't see a hand, but I saw somebody pointing a direction. That's great. Awesome. All right, for, for the rest of us here this morning, I have a couple questions for you. One, is there anything that you're holding on to? Like Abraham, like, like Abraham was holding on to Isaac. Is there anything that you're holding on to in life that you know you need to give up? Whether it's control, whether it's holding on to people in your life, like relationships. Like, oh, if I, if I you know, I, I got to control people or I got to hold on to, I don't want to lose that person. Whether it's things, whether it's your future, maybe it's your past. <laughs> Holding on because it gives definition to your life currently. Or is it just your life? Are there things that you're holding on to? I guess my question is really this. What is your Isaac? What's your Isaac that you need to lay down before God? Do you have an Isaac? I'm not saying that everyone does. I'm just, do you have an Isaac that you need to give to God? Is there something that you need to put on the altar and give to God this morning? So we're going to go into uh, a song here. And if you have something in your life, I, I really encourage you to come, like, as, as a step of faith, Get out of your chair and come and just deal with God at the altar. We're not going to pray over everybody who comes. If you want prayer, prayer ministers will, will be here and you can just come to them and uh, we'll pray for you. But really this is just saying, okay, God, what is my Isaac? What is the thing that in this season of my life I need to lay down? Father, I just ask that you would lead us this morning. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness. Thank you for all that you do in our lives and through our lives, God. And God, this morning, we want to give it back to you. We want to come to you this morning. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. And Heavenly Father, I thank you that you lead us this morning. If there's anything we need to lay down before you, we ask that you would just speak to us about it. Maybe it's a person, maybe it's a situation, maybe it's a business, whatever it is. God, we want to be faithful to do that this morning. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening today. We would like to invite you back to our services starting at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more great content from Newport Church, check out newportchurch.net or visit our YouTube channel. To get the right one, search for Newport Church in Elm, PA.